Let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you again for the privilege we have tonight to study. We trust you that by your spirit you will anoint us and you will walk through us to bring the truth to your people and to teach us by revelation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, last time we stopped at chapter 6 of Ephesians. We studied in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and stopped at verse 10. So we continue from verse 10. Verse 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. <clears throat> this, is, this is a fantastic uh, instruction how to, how to fight spiritual battles and win. How to fight and win and they do come. They do confront us. They do come. It says we need to deploy the armors that God provides. It's not, it's not what men provide. In this list of armors, there is not one of them that you provide. Not one of them is coming from you. You must have it clear. If you bring anything that is sourced from you, that's not the armor of God. You must understand this very well. And so it's called the armor of God, the whole armor of God, the whole armor of God, armor of God, armor of God. God provides. God uses it really through you because you can't do anything without Christ. So we have to put on, <clears throat> we have to be strong. Number one, the instruction we are given is that we must be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Some people say, oh, pastor, you know, I've done my best. There is nowhere the Bible says, your best, do your best. No, your best is, is not enough. You can't, you can't, that's flesh. Now you're presenting what you do. No, no, this armor is not, it's not you. It's what God is using it through you to give you victory. Even though you're the one he's using to manifest them, but he's the one that supplies them. So your best is not the issue. What we're talking about here is God says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You trust his ability. You trust his power. You trust what he does, what he can do. You can't rely on you. When you start relying on you, you are not deploying the armor at all. Because now, you are going to deploy the arm of the flesh. And that will fail you definitely. So we need to be strong in the Lord. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Seven. Let your roots grow down into him, into Christ. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you, have been, you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. You must grow strong in your faith in Christ. Put your solid, your entire confidence in him, in his power, 
in his faithfulness, in his word. So that's where this thing starts. Then in verse 11, it says to put on the whole armor of God. That makes it imperative that every Christian must know and be familiar with these armors. Just to be sure that you put all of them on. You don't have to put some. You have to dress properly. You have to put all of them. There is, it didn't say put half. You see, that's where, that's where the problem comes. We have to put all of them on. Quit means you have to know. I mean, if you are going out, you should know you should wear a shoe now. You should know you should wear this, you should wear that. You know what you should wear to be able to be presentable. Now, if you don't know what they're supposed to wear, then something, that's where the trouble starts there. So the Bible says we should put on the whole armor, all of them, all of them. So we need to be familiar with them, and this is not something you toy with because the challenges will come. They do come. And so our battle is not with men, but with unseen demonic powers. And this is a spiritual situation. But the tragedy is that many Christians use physical, mental, natural means to solve spiritual problems. It doesn't work. Again, that's not the armor of God. Because it's coming from you. Because you have a lot of friends, unbelieving believers, who don't know these things, and they will bring to you all these humanistic things, and, and you'll, be, you, you'll, be, you'll be devastated. Because it won't work. You are confronting demonic spirits that are totally committed to achieving their goal. This one thing Christians must know. These priests are not out to joke. They came to achieve, and they can be stubborn. Then he says, when you put on all these armors, then stand. You must be fully persuaded in the, in the ability of God, in the, power, in the strength of God, in the power of God. You must be persuaded in the, in, the, in the armor that God is giving you that this works. You must be fully persuaded of your place of victory. This battle is uneven. It doesn't even come close. It's so uneven. I don't even know how to begin to describe it. This is so uneven. It's so un, un, uneven battle. It's not an, it's not equal, you know, equals and get. No, 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 no. You, it's so uneven. The Christian is way up there. So you must be persuaded. You must be persuaded about the victory. And we sing it, he has given us victory. So you, you, you have to also have this mindset of victory that is yours. You know? Okay, look, let's see the two examples of these two men. That is uh, David and Saul. See the mindset of Saul before the, the, these people have the same enemies, the same circumstance, the same Goliath. But what is the difference? Saul, First Samuel 17, 10. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. How does somebody with this mindset win anything? He's already defeated. In verse 24, 1 Samuel 17, 24, as soon as the Israelites army saw him, they, when they hear, when they see, <laughs> and, and the devil will bring you frightening news. He has a lot of people, especially people who also are believers. Oh, sure enough, he will. How else will he frighten you? 
As soon as the Israelite army saw him, first one we read that when they heard this, they will hear evil news, evil reports. He will bring them. And then see, he will do things to frighten you. So when they saw him, they began to run away in fright. <laughs> 25. Have you seen the giant? Now they're talking about the Goliath. They're not talking about God. You can't win this battle when your testimony is about the devil and what he's doing to you. They're going around and talking about it. Oh my God. Looking for sympathy. Looking for who will sympathize with you. Looking for all that kind of stuff. You're going nowhere. Because even the testimony of your mouth has defeated you. So they started to testify about Goliath, glorifying him. <laughs> it's unbelievable. They began to say, have you seen this giant? They were glorifying him. I mean, when you glorify your challenge, it will crush you. It will crush you. Because that's the picture you have in your mind. You don't even remember God at all. And the man asked, he comes out each day to defy Israel. Yeah, of course. The challenges come every day. You see it now. It's, it's not going away. It's not 24 hour thing. Sometimes one month, one year, it's there. comes out every day to challenge your faith. These are real situations I'm telling you people. Now, look at David. The people with concrete spirit. Look at David. The same Goliath. First Samuel. 1726. Now, David is a young boy. Wasn't even, wasn't even trained for the army. He wasn't trained for the army at all. But he knew the weapons of God. The most dangerous person in that place was not Goliath. It was David. David was so, so dangerously dressed. All the armor was on, blazing. He was ready to go. That man was spiritually dangerous. He was so dressed. He was man to the hilt. He got all of it. So let's listen to this man, David. First, Samuel 17, 26. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine? Do you see his, 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 what he's seen? He's seen victory. He wants to settle what is given to him because he knows what is coming. For killing this Philistine and ending the defiance of Israel. Who is this pagan Philistine? These people say it's a giant. This boy said it's a pagan Philistine. Anyway, that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. These are the ones running away. They didn't know who they were. Verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, so. I'll go fight him. See, this is, the, this, is, this is where victory starts. Man, this is where it starts. If you are defeated in your vision, in your mind, in your conviction, game over. doesn't matter what. If you like, call all the television pastors and their wives. Call all the preachers, whatever. Let them lay anointing or you're wasting your time. It's, it's game over. Because as a man think it, so he will end up being. You can't violate that scripture. It's right there. And you know, hoping something will happen, nothing will happen. Because there's nothing you're believing except defeat. Shouldn't it be to you according to what you believe? So we are spiritually in higher authority. 
So we must think like David. It must come natural to you. Ephesians 2, 6. And had raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See where we're seated. See where you are seated. See where God has placed you in Christ. Not outside. In Christ. He didn't even say we sit with Christ. In Christ. Not with Christ. In Christ. Where he seated, we are there in him. Raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. In, I-N. Not with. In. Christ Jesus. Seated with him. Seated in him where he seated. So we can't be separated from him. We are seated in him, in him, not with. If he's with you, you can say, okay, move a little bit. No, 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 no. In him. We can't be separated. We are in him. Then let's read Ephesians 1.21. Because I had to flip it. We read Ephesians 2.6. So that when we go to Ephesians 1.26, we can 21 get it in context. This seated, where we're seated in verse 21. Far above, that's where we're seated now. Far above all principalities, all these demonic spirits, far above all principalities and power and might, dominion, and every name that is named, no matter their name, not only in this world, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Can you imagine how, how, how powerful the Christian is? Can you imagine that? This is an unfair, it's an unfair battle. It is so unfair, I don't even know how to begin to describe it. It's like a hammer and a fly. I mean, don't, that doesn't even bring it out. <laughs> Let's use it to compare. That's what it is. Seated in Christ. And then in verse 22, Ephesians 1.22, I had put all things under his feet. We are sitting in him. So if all things are under his feet, then all things are under our feet. We are seated in him. If I'm sitting with him, you can say, okay, all things are under his feet, so I'm sitting by the side. No, I'm not sitting by the side. I'm sitting in him. So if we put his feet, my feet also is right there. I have put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the, f- the fullness of him that filleth all in all. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Behold, I give unto you power, to trade upon serpents and scorpions, and over all the powers of the enemy, all the powers of the enemy, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, the authority he gave us is far, 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 far greater than all those things we are doing. I don't have time to begin to teach on the name of Jesus that has been given to the church to use. And then these are the same spirits, so we must not forget that these are the same spirits that were paraded publicly as defeated by the Lord. There's no more. God has not created more. It's the same spirits, so not another. The same ones that were paraded publicly, displayed as defeated by the Lord Jesus. The same ones, so Colossians 2.14. 
He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed. You see, they have been disarmed because our sins have been washed away. This totally disarmed them. They have been disarmed. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Number one, he shamed them publicly. Number two, by his victory over them on the cross, he shamed them publicly. It was a public display of defeat. It, they were put to shame. Once that blood dropped, case closed. Sin had been dealt with. The Bible said that Jesus came to annihilate sin, destroy it, deal with it. So people hear that and say, uh, they're telling us you can't can see nothing. No, that's not, that's not what I'm preaching, my friend. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that that blood washed, washes away everything for those who believe in Christ Jesus. He didn't cover it. He washes it away. That's why you can come before God and say in Jesus' name. So we're dealing with the wiles of the devil. That's what verse 11 tells us. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What is wiles? There's an English word, so let's see. It's a tactic, a strategy intended to deceive. So the, whole, the main strategy of Satan is deceit. Christians must know this. It's deceit. Devious and cunning strategy employed in manipulating and persuading someone to do what one wants. My mind game, manipulating you to believe what he wants you to believe because he knows that it's a bit to you according to your faith. And the Bible calls it fight of faith. It's fight of faith. That's what it is. He does these things, number one, he raises trouble to confuse you. Again, you see. He wants you to see something to frighten you. So he raises trouble. He makes things get worse. He, he, may, he, he, he does all manner of stuff. So he raises trouble. You know why he raises the trouble? Because you want to believe God. So he comes and attacks your faith. Say, how can you believe God? It's right here in Matthew 13, 21. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Once you start believing, whoo, here he comes. He fights you back. And say, but I have faith now. This is, you no, know, he's walking, my friend. The Bible says, haven't done all. Stand, 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 stand. That's what we we're told the first time. Stand, therefore. Don't budge. Be persuaded. Stand strong. And, and, you know, the Bible teaches us all the strategies of the devil. It's right there. It's right there. You study scripture. You see what it does in the last chapter. So, but if you don't have roots, like we said, you are not rooted and grounded in the world and things. Oh, you say, oh, it's not working. No, it's working. <laughs> That's the devil attacking you. You must know that. The Bible says Israel, when they saw, they began to talk of the giants. Now, he will bring you a giant too now. And when you see the giant, you should ignore him and treat him like David. I said, this is uncircumcised. This is defeated. This thing is defeated. It's crushed already. Verse um, number two. He uses 
he wants to inject doubt in you by asking you, has, did God really say that? Has God said it? That's the question he asks in different ways. You think that thing works? How can it work? Did God say that? Are you sure, sir? Just inject doubt into you. So he went to Adam and Eve and did the same thing. He went to them and said, has God said? Immediate doubt, has God said? I started to argue them out of doing what God said. He will argue you. I tell preachers, I say, hey, pray well before you preach. It's a spiritual confrontation. As you are preaching, he's arguing in the minds of people, arguing against what you're saying. He does it all the time. As you are preaching, he's arguing in the mind. People are looking at you and say, yeah, yeah, preach, preach our pastor. But in their mind, they are receiving it. Because he's arguing against that thing. So is, that thing is it that thing he's saying? Ah, don't mind about that. Real reality. So he will come to argue you out of, you know, what God has said. Try to convince you it doesn't work. Has God said, you know? If God said that, that is not true because, you know, God knows that the day you do this, you are going to be like him. He argued them out of it. Be careful. Be mindful of this. Has God said? Is it true? It doesn't work. Then he uses human wisdom to, devast, to devastate in effect. This is, I don't even know this one because we are so comfortable with it. We are so comfortable with it. You know, this COVID time and things, he dislocated a lot of families, moved them, gave them money, good jobs and things, and some of them are losing those jobs right now. Right now, as I'm talking, they are losing them. But he moved them, and they never bothered to say to God, are you really the one? No, because it makes sense now to make more money. Doesn't it make sense? Come on. This American dream. It makes a lot of sense now. But the scriptures say, no, seek first the kingdom of God. No, no, pastor. Ah, if you know what they offered me. Some people have done that and they have issues. Major issues. He uses this because we are comfortable. It's our comfort zone. Everybody, everybody relaxes when we go to our comfort zone because it makes sense. Really, really makes a lot of sense. I, I heard about my, my, my late pastor, uh, Reverend Kenny Hagin, the man that God used to mentor me. I loved that man so much. He was telling a story about his brother-in-law, his son-in-law that married the daughter, uh, Harrison, Buddy Harrison. He, <laughs> he was offered a job to, to, in a restaurant where he was going to earn 20000 in, in 1930 something or 40 something, that was a lot of money. 20,000 a year was a lot of money. And then they, they promised him in six months to make it 30 and to move him on to 60,000. He didn't take the job. He said, but the Lord wants me to go and be a, a, a music pastor, a music minister in the church. And they were paying him $100 a week. People, this is a real story. Wisdom of me, $100 a week, $400 a month. Against, so the owner of the restaurant called Kenny Hagen and said, I can't get it. Your, your, your son-in-law, 
is rejecting this that will move him to 60000 to go and take $100, $100 a week. He said, what's the sense in it? Doesn't make sense, of course. See, the devil laid that foundation for him. Gave him something so tempting. You know how he ended up? While he was doing that music minister and something, the Lord led him to start harassing publishing. And he started harassing publishing. Today, it's one of the biggest publishing houses we have. And he's publishing Bibles and everything. He's passed away. His children are still chopping from it. Now, which one is better? Is it the Harrison Publishing House that has lived beyond him? Or the 20,000 when he died out of India? You see well, how we miss God. You see? That's what the devil does. Quickly offered him 20,000 to 30,000 to 60,000. Is it not an American dream? And God said, you know, go, go, go and be music, music minister. $100 a week. Compiled people. And Jesus called it a dangerous trap that he sets for people. He, the devil will offer you money to destroy your soul. He will do that. Because he knows you, you pass away. I go to hell. All the money you left, you come back. You know, you come back and scatter everything with one lawsuit or whatever. Just scatter everything. Matthew sixteen twenty one. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He will be killed. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Then Peter. But Peter took him aside. Peter called him to the corner. Listen to the other side. And began to reprimand him, to rebuke him. Say, this is your sin. Stop saying that. Did you know why Peter was rebuking him? It was because Peter was. He had not settled the issue of his position in this deal. He was out of covetous mind. It's from here, it's from all this conversation that Jesus said to them, beware of covetousness. Peter will say, okay, we have been following you now. What is there for us? Because they were fighting who will be greatest, who will be this, if he goes, this man says, going. All their mind was not in spiritual things at all. It was a motivation for what they would gain. They said, don't say things like this. I'm not going anywhere. Ah, you, the king, you have not even given, this was not in the Bible. The, you have not even given us the kingdom from the, the Romans now. Because when he rose from the dead, they went to him. I said, is it now that you are going to now deal with the Romans? And give us this kingdom. Because that's what they thought he would do. This was the reason they did. Ah, they said, find somebody who can deal with this Roman government. So when he rose from the dead, they were still asking him, are you now going to give us this government back? Free us from this Roman this thing. So Peter was reprimanding him and said, don't say that. You, you're, I'm an old man. Don't, don't be craving dates. What kind of talk is this? You know, in human palace, palace, Peter was making sense. How do you want a 30-year-old man to be saying, I'm going to die? Mm. So Peter took him aside began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord. He said, 
You think this is religion. <laughs> this will never happen to you. 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. It was a rebuke. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from human point of view, not from God. Because Peter was seeing things from human, his calculation, his, his calculation, his, it didn't add up for him yet. This government has not been given to us. They use these wrong teachings, false doctrines that the Bible does not underwrite. And they know it's so shocking how we Christians don't even use the Bible to check facts. It's unbelievable how easily we can believe things that is not in the Bible. Very easily. And there are a lot of people going around who are quoting Bible, who have never gone to church, who don't know Jesus. And they quote him back. They say, Jesus said this. Jesus said that. And he didn't say that. If you hear them now talk about love, they'll be quoting, ah, but you know that Jesus, you know, he teaches about love. It's all inclusive. It's all. He didn't, all they're quoting is not what he taught. Jesus taught about love. But Jesus also taught about being holy. The love of God is God is love and God is holy. God is pure. The love of God cannot be immoral. The love of God does not rejoice in iniquity. They won't say that. They won't, you won't hear it from their mouth. They will tell you, you know, Jesus preaches love. You know, and these people saying this, they don't know Jesus. They are not born again. They, have not, they don't even know the difference between church and any other religion. But they could, because it's demonic spirit doing all of this. The greatest deceits come one-on-one. One-on-one. So use this wrong teaching, false doctrines, that is not on directing, supported by scripture to deceive people. We'll come to this later on. Now, the devil is seriously interested in trying to motivate you and control your thought, thereby controlling your actions. Very, very interested in that. So in John 13, 2, and supper being ended, the devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. I don't know how many things he tries to put in your heart to do. You think it's you. You think you are the one thinking it. He's the one that put it in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. And Judas bought it. You know, you start thinking, you, he, he uses this, you know, it's like you think it's your thought. But no, he's the one injecting it. He's the one that convinced Judas to betray his master. And so there is this instruction we are giving. And the Bible says it's above all instruction. Once you hear the scripture say above all, take note of that thing. Don't disregard that thing. It says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else. Oh, we don't do that. Oh, we don't do that now because, I mean, whatever we just, you know, television says, we say the news says. It was in the news. Where did you hear that everything in the news is true? It's in, the, it's in the internet. <laughs> Where did you hear that everything in the internet is true?
guide your heart above all else. Above all else. He's interested in, in injecting doubt, injecting wrong doctrine, because he knows that every issue of your life is coming there. But we don't guide it. People tell us all manner of stories and we open our ears and we are listening. For it determines the course of your life. Something as serious as this, you think that we Christians should take it seriously? That the scripture said, above all else, my friend, guard that your heart because it determines the course of your life. Whether you make it, whether you be healed, whether you commit sin, whether you live in righteousness, it determines the course of your life. It's coming from your heart. Jesus said, all this iniquity comes from the heart. It's from the heart all the issues of our life come from. Faith comes from there. Doubt comes from there. Fear comes from there. Love comes from there. Hatred comes from there. And the Holy Spirit says, above all things, guard your heart. Oh, we won't do that. They will wonder why we're failing and getting confused. And then the Bible, all this doctrine is trying to solve problems. Because we're not, we're, we're, it's not working. So let's go to the weapons of our warfare then. Verse 14 says, stand therefore having guided your, your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith. You see what this thing does? Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrine is teachings of demons. They look like, I'm telling you, they look like, sometimes they quote Bible, but they quote it wrongly, out of context. Verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They don't have conscience no more. No more. At all. These teachings of demons come from the pulpit sometimes. Not our pulpit, but comes from the pulpit generally. And from one-on-one conversation. The most dangerous one is this one-on-one thing. Because you are casual, you don't even... But if it's people, they are even almost... But one-on-one, you are really... You are not, you are, you are not on guard. It's your friend now. I say believer now. They we are believers. One on one. But the Bible says, judge all things. You've got to judge all things. It's not that you are friend because God wants to guide your heart above all things. Judge all things. And all that deceit aims at one thing. It simply aims at, number one, to take your faith away from Christ. It says some will depart from the faith. Faith in Christ. Do you have, do you have any other object of it except Christ Jesus? So take away your faith from the Lord Jesus to anything else. It can be faith in your prayer, faith in your holiness, faith in your righteousness, faith in your goodness, faith. And we easily fall for that. And we go to God thinking it's because I'm holy, God will do that. And we do that. Faith in your pastor, faith in the man of God, faith in, faith in brethren. The only thing, the only thing. 
that saved you, that brought you to God, is that blood of Christ that was shed and brought to that altar. Nothingness. Nothingness. If that blood was not blood, there would not be forgiveness of sin. Nothingness. Christ is the object of it. If you move your faith from Christ, you're done. You're done. Let me repeat it. There is nothing else that atoned for your sin except that blood of the Son of God, which was shed. And the Bible says he entered the altar of heaven with it and brought it right there. And that blood still speaks for us. No ritual, no whatever. That nothing. The only thing is that blood. Without the shedding of that blood, our sins will not be forgiven. But he wants to take your faith off Christ and put it in something else, thinking that those are the things that will please God. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. Without faith in Christ, you can't please God. Number two is to make you change your mind, is to, to make you ch- take charge of your life, take control of your life like Adam and Eve did. The two control. You know, we're talking about being led of the Holy Spirit. You have to live. <laughs> If I'm leading you, if I'm the one to lead, you have to surrender control to me now. People have not understood this idea of surrendering control to the Spirit of God. It's a total surrender. But the devil won't want you to. He will make you want to walk in and lean onto your own understanding. And begin to be wise in your own eyes and use your wisdom to interpret scripture. <laughs> and that's dangerous now because you're now helping him to be spreading false teaching. The Bible says no scripture should, be, should have private interpretation because the Holy Spirit wrote it. It's the wisdom of God. The love of God passes all understanding. That Bible you are reading passes your understanding. So the main focus is the gospel of grace that saves us. He wants to twist the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and make man the savior of himself instead of Jesus. You know, every other religion presents man as the savior of themselves. They tell you what you do to go to heaven. They tell you what you do to do this. They tell you prescribe what you do to do this. God says, no. I do those things and give you free. It's called grace. It teaches people that they can be righteous by their good works and by, by be holy by their good works and therefore without Jesus, making people to labor, work harder, to please God, to get things from God, punish themselves without faith, without faith. And Christ is no more our sufficiency. He twists these things and majority do that. So if I can labor and do these things, I get something from God. I have said to God, I don't need Jesus now. Because I, my hands have made me accept you. God hates those things. The Bible says he brings cost, not blessing. It's in your Bible. You don't bring blessing. As many as want to be justified by the works of the law. The Bible says they're under a cost, not under a blessing. 
So he teaches people that salvation is not by grace, but by works, and give them a list of works to do to be saved. And you hear, you know, when we lead people to Christ, you wonder what we're doing. Five minutes, ten minutes, we are still praying. Because we're not sure <laughs> whether they are saved. <laughs> we're still rolling around. Where in the Bible did we read these things? Where did we read these things? People say, yeah, we're here. Okay. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. You accept him as your Lord and say, well, yes. Then you start a prayer of them. Are you going to beg God to save them? God said if they believe they are saved. Why don't you just leave it like that? So the, the weapon of truth, that's where we started. The weapon of our warfare, we are dealing with the first one, which it says, therefore, having guided your ways with truth. So what? Where is truth? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me, and that's true. Without that blood, you can come. The Bible says it's the new and living way to quickly come. It is it's the new veil. You know, that, 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 that uh, curtain was ripped into two. So when the blood of Jesus was ripped, he opened the door, he opened the way for us through his body that was ripped, torn. Can go. Ephesians 4.20 But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have had him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Christ. You can't find the truth outside of Jesus that God has brought to us. is in Christ Jesus. To be taught by him, by his spirit, by revelation. So Jesus brought and preached the gospel of grace, which is the truth. In Hebrew 2, verse 1. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. And we, or we drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore, if we ignore the great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose to do things like that. So in John chapter 117, he said, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So you see, the Holy Spirit differentiated the law and the, and the truth. Right here. He said, Moses brought the law, but Jesus brought grace and truth. Differentiated it right here, but people mix it up. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit said, no, Moses brought the law. But Jesus brought grace and truth. And so what is the difference? The law is what you do. Thou shall not do this. It's you. It's what you do. The truth is what God does. Grace is this motivation for doing it. Unmerited favor. He does it out of his love. Grace, the word, is what God does manifest himself. That's why, I mean, the, the truth, sorry, it's what God does. That's why it's the truth. Because what, whatever God does is true. Whatever God says is true. 
God says this. And God says, I've done this. That's the truth. It's not a law. What God does is not a law. God is not under laws. God does what he has planned to do. And it's in Christ he did all of them. That's the truth. All that testimony about it is the truth. The reason he did that was the love he has for us. For God so loved the world. And so it is in John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What God says is truth. What God, and God asks his word. Performs his word. He performs his word. His performance of his word is the truth in action. The word he speaks is the truth in words. It's not the law. God gave the law. That men will do that. But God gave us the truth. To review what he has done and what he's doing for men. To bring them where the law could not bring them. Because under the law they all failed, all have sinned. So why is truth number one on this list? It's because it is the truth that makes everything else we do right now. If, if, if I'm praying and I'm not praying according to the truth, it, it, it won't go. If I'm not, anything I'm doing that's not according to the truth is falsehood. It's lies. It's of the devil. And, and God cannot perform anything that is not the truth. So the truth is so important so that when we understand what the truth is, so we can make sure that whatever we're doing, we're doing it in truth. Worship him in truth and in spirit. Everything is in truth, in spirit, in truth. According to what God has said and according to what God is doing. Number two. Is because the devil is using falsehood to block people from receiving the truth. And this can form layers in people's heart, in people's mind, like rock. And you are preaching the truth, it won't let it go through. Jesus talked about it. The hard rock. It won't get it go through. Because that, that deceit has been there. And then whatever you say, even you can be telling somebody something, he'll be hearing, he'll be agreeing with you. And say, yes, oh, oh, yeah, that's true. But inside of him, he's hearing something different. That's the mystery of communication. He's hearing something different. Have you not talked with people and you thought they, they had you, you thought they agree with you, and then outside there, a few minutes, you are discussing the same thing. He's saying totally different thing from what you said. He said, but this is not what I said. And I said, oh, but, but that's what you said. Why? He didn't hear you. Yet he was agreeing with you. <laughs> he's telling you right there. He was quoting what you didn't say. It didn't even cross your mind. And he will swear you said it. Yet you know you didn't say it. Don't we experience it? Because that person has, a, a, has an idea about you that is in their mind that won't let them hear you. Either they think you are not a good person. They think you, they, that thing won't let them hear. You are saying this, but they are seeing you from that picture in their mind. And they will swear you said this thing. You say, no, I didn't. But why? Because that's what they believe about you. You can't talk them out of it. Even they can say, okay, 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 fine, let me agree with you. He didn't agree. Oh. That's how dangerous these things can be. That's why we, the truth is number one. We must, we must know it. 
and dismantle what is not the truth. Otherwise, it will block you. It will block you. John 8, 44. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. He hates the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. 45 is where I'm going now. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Naturally, you will not. Because he has fed you with lies. And that lie will not let you hear me. He said, naturally, normally, you will not believe me. You are telling people, oh, salvation is by grace. They will hear you. But because there is this, this thing about you know, works and that are settled in them, they will think you are talking nonsense. They will agree with you if you say it. But inside of them, their conviction is not that thing you are saying. Jesus said, because of the lies your father has fed you, naturally, naturally, it's normal. If I'm telling you the truth, you will hear it will block you. See why Peter said we need to now focus on this truth until it pierces through, like a daylight. It pierces through all those things. And that's why we need to pray. We need to pray that God will open our eyes. That God will open our eyes. So Paul wonders about what to believe and what to teach. Because the truth is what is in contest. What's what, that's what the enemy is contesting. Wanting to show lies. And if you compromise the truth, what else are you doing now? So, 1 Timothy 4 says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Doctrine is teachings. Be careful. The doctrines you believe, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save yourself, pastor, you that is teaching people, you can lose it. If you don't take heed unto what you are listening to, what you are believing. If the Bible is not what, you are not a Berean Christian going to the Bible to make sure that this is what God really says. Let me give you, let me give you an answer. When people are talking, ask them to give you chapter and verse and not one. Because the Bible says at the mouth of two or three witnesses, give me chapter and verse. You find that they don't even have. Take it unto thyself and unto the doctrine to save yourself and them that hear you. Because you can mislead a whole congregation. Armor of truth. You must put on the truth so that you don't deceive yourself and, and it affects your faith. And then you, you, you become a mouthpiece of lie. And also, the one single lie you show in people can ruin somebody's faith. The Holy Spirit says it's like cancer. spreads like cancer. So the Bible says preach the word. Why? Because there are many things you can preach. You can preach politics. You can preach. I, I told that pastor in Lagos, I said, you know, Jesus came. There was very bad government, Roman government. But he never spoke about it. He didn't talk about it. He was talking about the Father's kingdom. 
Isaiah came to bear witness to the truth. He talk, didn't talk about all those Roman government. No, it wasn't his focus. In fact, they came to make him minister by force. He told them, no, I didn't come for this. The church is told to preach the word. You can preach politics. It will sign good. Come be given prophecy who will be president and vice president. And then when, when they are not, you can... <laughs> All over. All over. The Holy Spirit said to the church, preach the word in season, out of season. Preach the word. Truth is important. Give it to them. The battle is about that truth. First, Second Timothy 4. Two. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exalt with long suffering and doctrine. Preach the word. Don't preach politics. Others can preach politics and the people are clapping for them. Preach the word. In season, out of season. Use the word to rebuke, to teach. Use the word. Faith comes by that word, not by politics. Politics will heal you. The word, the truth, is the weapon you must arm Christians with. Preach the word. Armor of truth, number one. So they walk in the light and have fellowship with God. Faith John 1.1. 1, 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. This is what we are proclaiming. Whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hand. He is the word of life. We're talking about Jesus. Preach the word. The truth is in him. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself will reveal to us and we have seen him and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. We're teaching you the truth, the armor of truth. Colossians 2.1 Because you see, it is in Christ that God's plan for mankind was 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 um, was culminated and consummated. Nothing else. God doesn't have plan B because he trusts himself. God doesn't have plan B. I say, if I fail, no, no, can't fail. Because he said, this was finished from the foundation of the earth. God doesn't have plan B because he's God. He has so much faith in himself. He's God. There's nothing like plan B. How can God fail? It's not possible. He put that plan in place. This plan works. You may reject it, that's your own. But that plan he put is solid and it works anybody who believes in it. I mean, it saves anybody who believes in it. So it can't fail, it doesn't fail. Once you believe in it, it works for you. God put it in place. But you can reject it, you. But that thing God put in place works for anybody who accepts it, period. So God doesn't need plan B. So now let's look at Colossians 2.1. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church in Laodicea. 
and for the many other believers who have never met me personally. Why are you agonizing? The truth, they must be armed with it. Verse 2. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself, who is the truth. They must understand this. The truth is in him. It's not about rituals. It's not about this. It's not about this. It's, not. it's about Christ. The truth. The truth. They must be armed with it. It's agonized because of this thing. Who is he agonizing? He's praying and agonizing in prayer against the demonic spirit that will deceive people. He's not agonizing with God because it is God's way for us to know the will of God, to know the truth. God wants everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth. So you don't have to agonize with God about that. But it's the demonic spirit is fighting in prayer and standing against them. You ask God to give you revelation, all right, but you have to agonize for God to do that. No. Paul said, I fought with beasts in Ephesus. I fought with them. He said, they want to tear the sheep to shreds. I fought them. Verse 3. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. We testify of you people. The one who is the word, who is the truth, in whom lies every wisdom and knowledge you need in this life. Is him. Armed with the truth. Verse 4. I'm telling you this now, so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. The devil will want to argue you out of this. But I'm telling you now, this is the plan of God. This is the truth. Ignorance is the absence of this weapon, and it is dangerous. That's why truth is number one. Ignorance is the absence of this weapon. It ruins people. In Hosea forces, we know that my people are, are being destroyed because they don't know me. They don't know the truth. My people, they don't know the truth. They are ignorant. They don't have the weapon of truth. So they are being deceived and being destroyed. The Bible says some will depart from the faith. Are you not seeing what is happening in these days? Many churches are no more churches. They are social, whatever they want to do. Christ is not being honored, preached, nothing. It is sociology, it is, you know, human articulation. Some churches have thrown away the Bible. They don't even read it again. Some don't believe in the virgin birth. I mean, I'm telling you in this country where we live. Many. Not few. They dance, they dance all this immoral dance. What's the truth is not there. And we need the revelation of the Holy Spirit. He alone can reveal the truth. In Christ to us, never by human understanding. John 16, 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He, the spirit of truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. He will give us revelation of this truth. 
in Psalm 18.28. I like this TPT translation. Psalm 18.28. God, all at once, you turned on your front light for me. You are the revelation light in my darkness. And in your brightness, I can see the path ahead. He said, all of a sudden, all at once, you turned on the front light. Revelation to me. You are the revelation light in my dark, darkness. That's where darkness is where there's no light, where there's no revelation. And in your brightness, I can see the path ahead. That word, the word is, is, is lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. That revelation lightens my path. That truth. So I'm not walking in ignorance. I'm not walking in darkness. Matthew 16, 15. He said unto them, but who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed that thou, Simon Bargainer, for flesh and blood had not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. It comes from him. Nobody can reveal the truth. Jesus said, nobody knows the Father except the Son. Nobody knows the Son except the Father. Nobody. You can have mental knowledge. And mental knowledge is not revelation. It won't help you. And faith doesn't come from mental knowledge. Faith comes from revealed knowledge. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Because it's of the Spirit. And so we need to develop intimacy with the Holy Spirit. We have to. Don't make your Christianity a compartmentalized something. You know, this is the time. Yeah, you should have time to pray. You should have time to do this. But don't make it, don't let your Christianity be put in boxes like that. Let your Christianity be a flowing life. Yes, you have time with the Lord. That's okay. That's beautiful. You should have that. But don't let it end there. No, don't let it end there. Continue in your fellowship with him. As you live there, always recognize this with you. Talk with him. Discuss with him. Ask him questions. Practice conversing with him so that you familiarize yourself with how he talks to you. Ask him questions about what you read. Some things happen. Ask him about it. Develop intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Without this intimacy, you won't go forward. Because you will ignore him. Because you have finished your quiet time now. You get out and throughout the day you don't even remember him. <laughs> don't remember him. But the Bible says he was sent to you to be your counselor, your guide, your helper. And he's there. He's there. So Paul put it properly in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion, 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 communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. That's about the truth. Then the second part of that verse says, breastplate of righteousness. In this breastplate of righteousness, we have three parts to it, or four parts to it. Number one is the righteousness of faith that we have who come to Christ. Number two is the righteousness that God, that Jesus gave us by exchange. God made him to be seen, so God made us righteous. And number three is the the righteousness that the life of Christ produces in our lives practically. The righteousness that the, the Spirit of Christ produces in our lives practically. The, the, the new life, because we are created into righteousness and in fellowship. So we are 
But we come to Christ, we come to righteous by faith. Then the Bible says that God made us righteous because he made Christ to be seen. By the, by the intercessory ministry of Christ Jesus, God counted us righteous. We exchanged places with him. Then we were created righteous in the new creation. The Bible says we were created in two images of God, righteous and holy. Two were created righteous and holy. And then because of that new nature, you have to by faith believe what God has done. Remember, the truth is what God is doing. You have to believe what God has done so that it will manifest for you. And if we're talking of weapons of God, then the righteousness, the breast of breast of righteousness cannot be what you do. Because it's not your weapon. It has to be what God does. Number one, he can tell you righteous. When you came to Christ, called righteousness of faith. If you go to the book of Hebrew, you find that Enoch also obtained that righteousness of faith, not only Abraham. Then you find also that um, Christ was made to be seen, so we become righteous. Then you find also you were created righteous when you came to Christ in the new creation. You have a new life. And so you find that that new life won't work unless you believe it. Unless you believe that that's who you are. Again, as a man thinks who he is, it's your faith that makes it manifest. And then because this is what God has done, because it's God that supplies you that weapon, that righteousness that God has given you becomes your weapon. And you know, because my time is over, by next, next uh, Thursday, we go into it and you see how it works for you. Because without it, you won't be bold. Without understanding righteousness, you won't win any battle. You'll be defeated. Because the devil will know you don't know it. Because again, the truth is not there. He will bring confusion. And then you'll be doing a lot of things to gain. To gain. <laughs> a lot of things you think that when you do now. And then because that thing won't work. That's why it never works. You know, when you do that, you think you do that now, you, you can be accepted back. It never works. It never works because the guilt will still be there. And the Bible says those who receive this gift of righteousness, they reign in life. They reign in life. So you have, to, you have to accept it now to reign. So this is what, part of what I'm going to teach on Thursday. You know, we're talking on Wednesday about godliness and things. You know, somebody asked a question. I love those questions because, you see, those questions help us. Because when we talk about doctrines, it's because of questions that somebody asked that we thought about doctrines. And it took series to finish that teaching on doctrines because Ugochuku asked the question, what is doctrine? So now somebody talked about, you know, somebody said, you know, I love God, but I don't have the fear of God. I said, no, it's not scriptural. There's no, there's no scripture that teaches that. Listen to me, everybody. Listen to me. Jesus said, if you love me, you do my will. So you can't say I love God, but I'm not doing his will. Because that's a contradicting, contradicting that scripture number two. Is that the scripture says when we come to Christ, God has given us all things to pertain to life and Godliness. So you can't say to God, you know what? I have love, but I don't have the fear of God. So you, you forgot to give me fear of God. No. God gave you all things that pertain to life and godliness. And how does it work? It is this new nature you have that is love too. And that love manifests in the, in the fear of God. It manifests in deep reverence for God. If you go to the book of uh, Hebrew, you see where Jesus was described as having, he said his prayer was answered because he feared. That word fear was translated to mean deep reverence for God. And how did he have this reverence for God? It was his love for his father. He said, he explained it. The Bible said he knows his father. And because he loved the father, 
it manifested in this deep reverence. Love produces reverence, naturally. If you love somebody, you respect them. The person you love is your hero. Hey, anybody says anything about that person, you fight. Because he's your hero. <laughs> I'm telling you. Look at politics now. If this is your candidate, somebody says you fight. You can spend three hours, you're arguing. You, the man doesn't know you, don't know. But you're arguing, <laughs> sweating. Why? It's your hero. Love makes you. Love, the, the nature of Christ you have is, is naturally submissive to God. It's, it holds God in, in deep reverence. Because that spirit knows God. It flows out of your nature. God has given you all things you need for life and godliness. You don't say, I don't have it. No, you have it. That love, that nature, that spirit of Christ in you that we read in Hebrew, that they had the reverence from, of, from God. Is it not the same life you have? Is it not Christ in you? Is it not the same Christ? So, you know, if you love God, you, you honor him. You, you do his will. You honor him. But the point is that we believe in these things that, in fact, I teach all these things again on Thursday. We we'll go to it. So we realize that we have all we need for life and godliness in Christ. We have all of it. Don't say, I don't have this. No. And then if you say you don't have it, that's why you won't show it because you are, you are confessing you don't have it now. So why must we manifest? Is it not what you confess you have? You're already confessing failure. Like Saul. Why don't you come like David? And say, yeah, I have everything God gave me. In Christ, I'm complete. I'm complete. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally complete. I'm, I'm good to go. The spirit of Christ lives in me. He's the one manifesting these things. If you show deep reverence for God, the same Christ is the one is his life. It's natural to me to show deep reverence for God. But if you're ignorant of these things, again, that's where the truth comes. If you don't have the truth, the devil will deceive you about it. You, you resort back into religion. And all that talk about, uh, I want to have... I want to have a fear of God. It's backyard door to self-righteous work. Because all that work, what is, okay, what is this fear of God I want to have? When do I know I have it? Is it when I'm perfect? Is it when I'm no more sinning? What is it? People don't even know what you're looking for. Don't know what they're looking for. Who will give it to you? Since God didn't give it to you, are you going to produce one? You see, it takes you back to self-righteousness and you start doing all those kind of things again. But when you are in Christ, you are complete. You walk by faith. Your victory shows up. The life in you shows up. The love in you shows up. All of this things begin to manifest. The fruit of the Spirit, they show up. And that includes also reverence for God. It's in you already because Christ is in you and you are complete in him. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Precious Father, we just want to thank you and give you praise for the word you've given us. Preparing us so we live successfully. We live within the confines of your truth. Because we live in the world where the enemy is bringing all manner of doctrines. Yet you want us to walk circumspectly, to walk in the light, to walk in the truth. So that we can maintain fellowship with you. Thank you for giving us your spirit to teach us, to guide us, to help us, to know the truth, so we can't be deceived. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.